Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash the sin out of our life and make us clean. The blood is that detergent that cleanses from all sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you believe that we are saved from sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus? I believe that. That's fundamental to the Christian faith. That's essential or Christianity won't operate. You see, there are certain things that are fundamental to what we believe. And without those fundamental things, then it, Christianity just won't work. It really won't. Infallibility of the Scripture. Inerrancy of the Scripture. That's, that's one of the fundamentals. You've got to believe the Word of God. I said you've got to believe the Word of God. If you don't believe the Word of God and just put it in a, in a grouping of other uh, books, then you're, you're really missing the whole plan of redemption and salvation. Because what we know about God, what we know about Jesus, we learn through His Word. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So you might say without the Word of God, it's impossible to please Him. Because you don't have that kind of saving faith unless the Word of God teaches you and puts that in your heart and in your life. I've, I put up a sign sometimes that says, no Jesus, N-O Jesus, N-O peace, no peace. Then I put up K-N-O-W Jesus, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. Because Jesus, the Bible said, he is our peace. He is our peace. He is the one that paid the supreme sacrificial price for us. He was rich, the Bible said, yet for your sakes and mine, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. You may not know it, but you're sitting beside a rich person today. Ah, now they may not have a, a crown on, and they may not have a regal robe on, but they're actually royalty. They're actually, the people sitting on your row with you are king's kids. I said they're king's kids. They're kids of the kingdom. Amen. They're the inheritance. They have a future in which they're going to inherit all that the Father has. Whoo. So if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and if the redeemed of the Lord shall inherit the earth, then you're sitting by some pretty noteworthy folks. They may not have all kind of labels and titles right now, but according to this word that I preach out of, the Bible calls them the righteousness of God. The Bible calls them the apple of his eye. The Bible says that the Lord indwells his people. He lives amongst his people. In fact, the Bible says the praise is inhabited by God. God inhabits the praise of his people. So God is not some abstract being that is detached from us, but he's right here with us. And that all of us in this house today are the happy recipients 
and inheritors of all things that God has. One of my favorite places in all of Israel when I visit there, I guess it is not one of, it is definitely my favorite place. It's called the Rock of Agony, and it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's kind of fenced off. You have to pay a price because they, everything that's sacred there, they build a church over it and start charging. So if you get there to the Stone of Agony, you got to pay the owners of that property now to go to that church of all nations that's built over the Rock of Agony. But I want to tell you, what Jesus did for us, you can't buy with a price. What Jesus did for us, the access to that rock where the sins of the whole world were laid so heavily upon him, where he prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood, where he asked the Father to let this, if there's any other way, if there is any other way, and the response of our Heavenly Father was, there is no other way. And then our Savior said, then not my will, but thine be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So began a episodic event that we call the crucifixion. It was feast time in Israel. In fact, Jerusalem was abuzz with all the, the commercial things attached to Passover. There were people selling lambs and selling goats because this day called the Day of Purim or the Day of Atonement was when all of Israel gathered and brought their sacrifice to be offered by a priest and its blood was shed so that their sins could be indulged for another year. That must have been a cumbersome thing to travel from wherever you lived back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and to there try to barter a price among the money changers in the, in the temple area and try to get a good deal on what could suffice for the sins that you'd committed during the last year. I wonder if I can get a good deal on my sins. I wonder what kind of lamb I can buy. I wonder if I can get a 10% off or a blue light special on my sins for the year. And knowing full well, Jeff, that that was not the end of the matter because next year you got to come back and do that same process. In fact, the Hebrew letter tells us that every priest in the temple stands daily offering sacrifices which can never, somebody say never, never, never take away sin. In other words, it could not be finished. I've told you before, all the furniture that was in the Levitical system, in that, that priesthood, and that, that atmosphere in the temple, there was not a chair. Tables, yes. Basins to wash, yes. Sacrificial knife, yes. Cherubim, yes. All kind of things there, but no chair. You know why there wasn't a chair? Because you could never sit down, because you could never get caught up and could never get finished. There were always more sins than there were lambs to offer. There were always more sins to deal with than could ever be dealt with at one time. But one magnificent, glorious day, a cousin of our Lord stood in a river called Jordan 
and looked upon the bank and saw that long, lean Galilean walking toward him. And he said, Behold, a lamb. A lamb? A lamb. A lamb that was destined to be offered. A lamb that was destined to die. A lamb that was destined to deal with our issue of sin once and for all. To finish the matter. To bring it to one final conclusion once and for all. And this is what he said. The lamb of God which comes to take away the sins of the world. Not, not just cover them up, not just secure an animal to shed its blood for them, but this man, the Bible said, hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Would you quote that with me? But this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Praise God. But this man, every other priest could never but this man. But this man hath one time, in fact it reads in the Greek, hath once and for all time offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. In other words, there will never be another Calvary. There will never be another Gethsemane. There will never be another Pilate's judgment hall. There will never be another scourging. There will never be another puncturing of his side. There will never be nails suspended him in heaven, between heaven and earth. There will never be spikes driven in his feet. He will never be impaled and hung up. That will never happen again because once and for all, the Lord has offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. I had in seminary this old professor. His name was Dr. Galls, Hollis Galls. He was over the New Testament survey, a New Testament department of the study at the seminary for many, many years. He's now 90 years old. He's written commentaries for Langs. He's written expositors, Bible commentaries. He's written for all Ellicott. He's written for all of them. Studied the Greek from Thayer, Wiest, Vincent, all the big names in Greek interpretation. And the title of his lecture on a particular weekday morning was The Humiliation of Christ. This elderly statesman, so stoic and so intelligent and so knowledgeable, stood there and lectured, and I sat close enough that I saw streaming down his cheeks, tears that dripped and wet his shirt as he talked about the humiliation of Christ. That surely he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. 
something more powerful than we can ever imagine happened at Calvary. But it wasn't just the episodic event of Calvary that purchased our redemption. His whole life, the whole giving of the Lord Jesus, his immaculate conception, his birth, his life, the miracles, the teaching, the dying, the resurrection, the ascension, all of those things contribute to our redemption, his whole life, not just one of those things, but all of those things about Jesus work in our favor in trying to become in right standing with God. For you see, our maker created us to live forever. Our maker created us to never have pain, never no sorrow, never have sickness, and never die. Wow. In other words, God created it good. God put us in a garden. Didn't even have to work. All we had to do is walk around and decide what we wanted to eat that day. Amen. But this book that I preach out of says this. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Oh, there came a dreadful day when standing before a forbidden fruit, the mother of the morning partook of the fruit. You know what the reasoning was? Satan said to her, he said, God has said unto you, the day that you eat this fruit, you'll surely die, but you shall not die. In the very beginning, the devil came at Eve with don't believe the word of God. Come on, somebody. In the very first initial things in the garden, the devil, when he seduced Eve to disobey God, he said, don't believe him. He is playing a trick on you. He knows the day that you eat the fruit, you'll become a God like him, and he wants to keep you in slavery to him, so he doesn't want you to know about that fruit. You see, the devil is the most cunning of all creatures. You see, the devil is, is crafty in nature. He's deceitful. In fact, the Bible calls him a liar. In fact, the Bible says he's a murderer. And the Bible says he's a thief. And he comes against all that God stands for. And when Eve believed the wrong report, what, what happened? It appealed to her flesh, appealed to her nature that she would be equal with God. Come on, somebody. But then she went to Adam. And what a wimp our first man was. What a wimp. God help him, we wouldn't be in this mess if he had to been such a wimp. And she said, you eat it too. And he took it and ate it. Gobble, gobble, gobble. What, have you lost your man? What in the world? And God came down as he always did. Because God loves fellowship with you. God loves relationship with you. 
God wants to know you and you to know him. He wants to have a relationship with you. And it's not a one-night stand. And it's not shacking up. God wants relationship with commitment. God wants to commit to you and you commit to him. God wants to have fellowship and relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to be in you and you be in him. He, hallelujah. He's interested in fellowship. And he despises everything that interferes with that relationship. He wants it so bad. He appeared on the scene. And the very first question he ever asked the man was this. Adam, where art thou? Where are you? I'm here. I'm where I'm supposed to be. We have an appointment every day, cool of the day. We come down and we walk and we enjoy fellowship with one another. Where are you? And a voice came from out of nowhere. I'm hid. You're hid. Why are you hid? Because I'm naked. God said, who told you you were naked? You see, there was a time of innocence when we didn't have to wear clothes. Who told you you were naked? I was afraid. Who told you to be afraid? And we hid from you. You know, people are still doing that same thing today. Hiding from God. Hiding from God. Because they, they fear that, that what is expected of every one of us to have relationship with Him. And the Bible said, and God took animal skins and made clothes for them. There you have the very first mention of where an animal or something gives its life for our sin. First mention. And the Bible said, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Here's our first introduction to that concept, that some animal had to die so its skin could be used to cover the nakedness of our guilt. Come on, somebody. And then God made a startling announcement. He says, you can't stay here. And the sin has a price tag. I always tell you, sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go. And sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. So immediately they had to leave. And the Bible said God drove them out of the garden. For along with that, for by one man's sin came into all the world. One man's disobedience, the Bible said. Sin came into all, and death by sin. For the soul that sinneth must surely die. So death is the curse, and death is what came about as the result of our disobedience. But the next verse, say next verse. But the next verse says this, but by one man's obedience, 
By one man's obedience, we all now have life and have escaped the curse of death that death hath no more power and dominion over us because we know the resurrection and the life. His name is Jesus. He is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. Somebody give some praise to the Lord in this house. Let me take you now to Judgment Hall in Jerusalem. Jesus has spent the night at Caiaphas' house. He's had his beard plucked from his face. He's been slapped and spat upon and mocked and jeered and beaten. And now he is brought before Pilate's judgment hall. Matthew chapter 27 verse 15. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas, a notable prisoner. In other words, he was a lifelong convict. He was a lifelong prisoner. Every time he got out of jail, he wasn't long he was right back. He had such terrible character, no morals. He was a thief. He was from what you would call a, a lower of the baser sort, the Bible calls them a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders, say haters, haters. The chief priests and the elders, folks that were supposed to be the most religious were the chief haters. The people that ran the church persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of of this just man, see ye to it. And then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and upon our children. And then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I want you to get this picture now. The Bible said he came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
But as many as did receive him gave he power to become the sons of God. By their rejection of God's intervention, they said it pronounced a terrible time of judgment upon themselves. Isn't it something that Pilate's wife, I wonder what in the world caused her to dream such a dream. I wonder what, what revealed to her that this, this is a just man and she sent word to her husband, Pilate, said, Pilate, don't have anything to do with killing this man. Don't do this. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? You reckon she was a Christian? We don't have any knowledge that she was. If, it, if she was a Christian, if she was a believer, it never is recorded. All we know is she's Pilate's wife. Sometimes, man, you need to listen to your wife. Sometimes instead of father, mother knows best. Sometimes she knows. And she sent him word and said, don't have anything to do with crucifying this man. He's a just man. And then Pilate tried to wiggle out of it too, you remember? He said to the crowd, why? He's not done anything. All he's done is made some claims. We've got people all over this country that make claims. Why? Why don't you take Barabbas? Why don't you just take a man that's a known criminal? He's done all kind of atrocities. He's disrupted society. He's, he's a terror to you all. Why don't you take him instead of Jesus? And the Bible said, and they cried even louder. Even the more, no, no, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. My goodness, what a, what a heinous story that is. But you know those questions that were asked by Pilate are very interesting. And they're asked not only in history, but they're asked now. And just like Pilate had a choice to make, he asked these people, what would you have me do with Jesus? To everybody that's sitting under the sound of my voice, I'll answer that question for you. Receive him as Savior and Lord. Accept the fact that he died at Calvary's cross and shed his blood at Calvary so that you could have peace with God through the Lord Jesus so that you could know life everlasting, so that you could have a home in heaven. You accept the Lord Jesus. Let me answer. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Love him, accept him, serve him, worship him, and live for him, for he is the way of salvation. No wonder Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Praise God. What a Savior. The first choice that you've got to make is do you want a life of sin and depravity? Because without Jesus, that's what life is. Without Jesus, we call that person lost. Lost. Boy, when you say that word, there's nothing that encourages you about it, is there? Lost. Brother, I don't like lost things. Do you? Mm-mm. They, they've got something now. I don't know what I did of my keys as usual. 
And that's why I've got one of these things on it that uh, Debbie put on there. She calls it a tile. But you know what that thing will do? When I lose those things, Debbie can get her phone and that thing will go to buzz. It'll let you know. I may be lost, but if I make enough sound and racket, you can find me. I may be of no use to you right now, but if I can get that buzzer to go and to tell you where I am, I can get what you need. Oh, glory to God. I wish every one of us in this house had a tile on our key ring that said, Jesus, so that when you lose him, when you don't know, you can find him, because if you can find him, he'll do some great things for you and open up some great things for you. Some things that are locked to you now will be opened if you can just find Jesus. Some things that are impossible right now, you can't move it because you don't have the key to it. If you find Jesus, you can get things to move in that seem to be stuck. If you find Jesus, you can get doors to open that you seem to be locked. If you get Jesus in your heart, you can find joy unspeakable and full of glory because no other name under heaven given among men can do what Jesus can do for you. You got a choice to make. Hey, for some it must be a difficult choice. But actually, it's as simple as it can be. If you know Jesus, you know peace. Know Jesus, know peace. But if you know Jesus, you know peace. To live without him is to live a life of depravity. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about the children of wrath walking in the lust of their own flesh and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Well, what an awful walk it is to walk without God. Paul described it as being alienated, isolated, out of the mainstream, uh, isolated, away from God, lost. And he said, having no hope. Without Jesus, there's no hope. Without Jesus, there's no bridge over the chasm. Without Jesus, there's no way to get to God. Without Jesus, there's no peace that you can lay your head down at night knowing that everything's all right between you and God because you know Jesus. He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. But he that hath not the Son shall not see life. You know, a lot of people ask me questions. And one of the most prominent ones, Brother Jerry, do you believe you'll go to hell for this or that or the other? And I always answer, there's only one reason why anybody goes to hell. And it's not liquor, and it's not drugs, and it's not stealing and lying and cheating. There's only one reason why anybody goes to hell. And that's that you don't have Jesus. He that hath the Son has everlasting life. He's going to heaven. He that hath not the Son shall not see life. It's as plain as that. It's like the milk commercial. Got Jesus? I said, you got Jesus? Brother, I'm telling you, if God had done for you what, you what he's done for you, my Lord, you don't have to worry about hell. 
You don't have to worry about judgment. You don't have to worry about the fear of dying. You don't have to worry about, about all of those things that could, could that condemn you forever. And you've got eternal joy and bliss and pleasure. And I ask you if you've got Jesus. And you say, yeah. <laughs> Brother, you ought to have jumped on your feet and throwed your antennas up in the air and said, yes, 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 I've got Jesus. Hallelujah, because if you've got Jesus, you've got peace and you've got joy, got a hope of salvation and a hope for heaven. My Lord, what a wonderful, that's not much of a choice. I'd make that choice every day. A choice for Jesus is choosing a life of grace and a life of peace, a life of lasting joys in Jesus, a life of no condemnation. Have you ever read it, Romans 8? There remaineth therefore now. When is now? Now that I've accepted the Lord Jesus into my life. Now that he's become my Savior. There remaineth therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Them that are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful way of expressing that. There is no condemnation. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? What can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Neither height nor depth, nor things past, nor things to come, nor things that are present, nor people of any rank of any kind, nor angels or any other being shall ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. What a wonderful thing that is to know that you live with no condemnation. You are free. Can you say free? Free. Free to do my taxes with a certain company. Free. That's the craziest commercial, isn't it? Free. Hey, for every person that knows Jesus, free means no condemnation. Free means no judgment. Free means no, no white throne bar. No, I'm not going there. I said, I'm not going there. Everyone that's lost that doesn't have Jesus, you've got to appear at that judgment. It's called the white throne judgment. John saw it. And he said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. This is what's in the future if you don't know Jesus. I said, this is in your future if you don't know Jesus. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And listen to this. And the books were opened. What does that mean, 66 of them? Call New Testament. Old Testament, and the books were opened. And the next verse says this, And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in those books. You mean that when I stand before the Lord and I have to step up on the scale the counterbalance 
is going to be the Word of God. And while people that don't know Jesus stand there and shake and tremble like a limber twig in a March wind, they will hear our Creator say to them, Depart from me. Depart from me. What's the problem, God? You never had a relationship with me. I don't know you. I ask you again, do you believe God is looking for relationship? He wants to have people in his book that know him. And isn't it something that we've got these things in this book? You know, hey, the worst enemy you've got is a preacher that dodges the issues that are in this book. The worst enemy you've got is a preacher that preaches only things to tickle your ears. The worst enemy you've got is the man that will not take this book and open all of the counsel of God to you because one day you're going to be judged by that if you don't know Jesus. If you don't accept Jesus, then you're going to go to a place where that's going to condemn you. Listen, and there was another book there. Now, first he said plural, books were open, but now there's a book. And he said, it's called a Lamb's Book of Life. Wow. And read the last verse of that 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. And whosoever, it doesn't matter if he's President of the United States. It doesn't matter if he's Congressman. It doesn't matter. Whosoever was not found, was not found written in that book was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone. Now, I didn't say that. I didn't even write that. But it's my duty to tell you it's in here. And so many times we, we want people to love us and like us, but sometimes the news you have to share is kind of tough. And to realize that if you don't accept Jesus, then this is going to be in your future. Why don't you just accept Jesus while there's time? Why don't you just make a right choice? Like Pilate said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? I'm asking you, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? There's a little book, Don and I joke about it sometimes. It's written by Josh. McDaniel, it says, Lord, liar, or lunatic. And it says, either Jesus is the biggest lunatic that ever lived and pulled the greatest hoax of all of history, or other, he is the biggest liar who ever lived, or he's Lord and who he says he is. And let me ask you, which of those three do you believe Jesus is? Because if he's a lunatic, you're okay. If he's a liar, you're okay. But if he's Lord, you better listen to what he says. And you better be careful what you do with Jesus. I said be careful what you do with Jesus. Because the Bible said, listen to this, sometimes when we, when we reject him and walk out that door, the Bible said we crucify the Lord afresh. Is that right, Don? We crucify the Lord afresh. 
In other words, when we reject Him as being Lord, when we reject Him as being Savior, and turn and walk around as if nothing had occurred, that's like crucifying Him all over again. Could it be that our actions in our everyday life here contribute to the crucifixion of the Lord? No wonder Jesus said, remember Calvary. Don't forget Calvary. The Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should boast in anything save the cross of the Lord Jesus. I'm glad he went to the cross. What are you going to do with Jesus? Come and help me quick, Connor. So the Bible said they carried him out, and when they were come, Mark's gospel, when they were come to a place that is called Calvary, there they crucified him. The one on the right and one on the left. Now I want you to see not just a cross, but I want you to see three crosses. Three of them. And the Bible said that Christ was on the center cross in the midst, in the middle of the two. That was an effort to actually portray Jesus as the worst sinner of them all. Worse than the one on the right and worse than the one on the left. Each of them had been condemned to die and Jesus in the midst. And I say this reverently, and God knows that I do. But Brother Paris, perhaps the worst sinner was on the middle cross. Because he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was made to be sin. In fact, the sins of not just one thief or another thief, but the sins of the whole world was upon that middle cross. And that sight was so horrible that God turned his head from the awfulness of that. And there was two prayers that were prayed on that hill that day. One was prayed by a thief. And his prayer was a self-preservation. Get me out of this. Help myself. Jesus, if you be Christ, come down from this cross and save yourself and save us too. What a prayer. That was a prayer of self-preservation. There's another thief on the other side. And he prayed a prayer. Here's his prayer. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Nine words. Jesus answered him nine words. He said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. What was that thief saying? He was saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Lord Jesus, I've, I've watched you here hanging on this cross, and I heard you pray, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge and forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he said, I know that someone who is willing to forgive his murderer 
has got to have salvation and got to have a relationship with God that's real. And I know you're real and I know that you're genuine. I believe you're who you are. Go ahead and die. Go ahead and shed your blood. Go ahead and give your life. Go ahead and die the sacrificial death. But when you come into your kingdom, make sure that this old thief on the cross that prays this prayer is remembered by you, Lord. Remember me when you come to your kingdom. Don't let me be forgotten. Remember me. Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. He didn't say heaven. He said paradise. At that time, Steve, all souls and spirits went down. Went down to a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Had two compartments in it. One was called Abraham's bosom. Fixing to get a little hot over there. And the other side was called Hades or hell. And there was a great gulf that separated the two so that one could not pass to the other, nor one come back. And yes, hell does have prayer in it. Because in Luke 21, 16, the Bible said, and the rich man also died. This rich man had fared sumptuously, and a poor man named Lazarus begged for food at his gate. And the Bible said the scene was so wretched that the dogs came and licked his sores. And Lazarus died. But the angels came and got his spirit and carried it. You mean angels carry spirits? Yes, I believe angels carry spirits. I told my little sick mother-in-law just yesterday afternoon the angels will be to get you. Yes, yes. The angels will be to get you. I may not see them. These girls may not see them, but they'll come get you. The angels came and got his soul and carried it to Abraham's bosom, which was paradise at that time. But the Bible said the rich man also died, but in hell he came to himself. He lifted up his eyes. Realizing that he, his doom was sealed. Realizing I, I don't have any more opportunity. He prayed a prayer, not to Jesus, not to God, but to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, would you send somebody to dip their finger in water and touch it to my tongue? For I am tormented in this flame. Wow. And Abraham said, no, that, that can't happen. Said he can't come over to you and you can't go over to him. And he prayed another prayer. Listen to this prayer. Then would you please somebody, send somebody back to yonder's world from whence I came. Preachers, teachers, friends, somebody that will tell my brothers, I've got five brothers Go back and tell my brothers, don't come to this place. Accept Jesus. Accept the love of God. Accept the blood. Accept the word of God. Accept redemption. Accept the invitation. Get right with God. Don't come to this place. 
I wish I could get some folks as excited about telling people to receive Jesus as that man who prayed out of hell. Send somebody so my brothers will get saved and won't come here. Oh, Lord, if I was here this morning and I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't leave this place until I knew him. You mean that can change, Pastor, just as surely as you know who you are. That can change today. You can come to Jesus. You can accept the cross. You can accept the blood of the Lord Jesus that was shed for you. It will wash the sin out of your life. It will make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. You can live a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of no condemnation. It can be yours today by simply saying, I receive the Lord Jesus. And I make a decision right now. I, I make a decision right now. Salvation is a decision. It's a commitment. It's a choice that you make. No, I don't want to go where Pastor talked about. No, I don't want to do that. What am I going to do with Jesus? I'm going to accept Him today as Savior and Lord. Stand with me, please. I'll not leave this place until I give you an opportunity. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you're here today and you don't have, never have made this decision, you've never made a public, a public confession that Jesus is Lord of your life, then I want you to step out right now and come and meet me right here in this altar. The most glorious day of your life can be today. Most glorious day of your life can be today. Or the most regrettable day of your life can be today. It's a choice you've got to make. I said it's a choice that you've got to make. I hope you'll make the right one. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray in your name that while eyes are closed and heads are bowed, that if there's someone here in this audience today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that they'll make that step and walk down that aisle and come forward and say, I want to receive Jesus as Lord of my life. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would woo at hearts and would touch people's minds and cause them to consider receiving Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. If you're here and you'd make a move right now, I'd like for you just to step out from where you are. I'll meet you right here. I'll pray with you. And you'll leave here changed by the grace of God. Then I want you, if you know the Lord Jesus and the free pardon of sin and you're as sure for heaven as heaven is itself, then I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor, I'm ready. The Lord is in my life and Jesus is Lord of my life. Just slip your hand up so I can see you. So I can see you. Thank you, God. I'm looking for somebody that hadn't got a hand up. Far as I can tell, every hand in this place is raised. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord. Bless your name. Thank you, God. Come right on, Sheila. Thank you, God. What more you need God to do? So I could be home, so I could tell everyone I know you thought I was worth saving. So wants to make sure that he's sure. You thought I was worth How many of you believe you can know? 
How many of you feel like you can be sure? You can know. Hallelujah. Let me give you a scripture before we pray. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So what we're about to ask him for, he's going to do it. Now I want you to pray with me, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. You know me, and I want to know you. And I want to live for you, and I want to serve you. And I want my family to be a house that serves the Lord. And in Jesus' name, I trust your grace and your shed blood for the remission of my sin. And I accept you now to be Lord of my life. And I'll live for you and I'll serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I could tell everyone I know. You thought I was worth saving. He thought I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. Came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life. Sacrificed your life. So I could be free. So I can so be, be whole. So I can so tell, I tell everyone. I know. His name is what? Jesus. Jesus. What'd you say his name was? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm glad he's Lord of our lives, aren't you? Listen, I preached this way this morning for various reasons. Not just to give an opportunity here, but to teach you how you can go and repeat what I have preached and taught today. And you can lead somebody to the saving grace of Jesus. The greatest gift you could give to any acquaintance or any friend or any relative is to know how to get saved, to know how to meet God. And that's my purpose this morning in preaching like I've preached. So you'll know how to preach what I preached. And I empower you today to preach in Jesus' name what I preached right here to everyone you know that needs a Savior. Thank you, God. Lord, I dismiss this congregation today from your house. I thank you for your word that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I thank you, O oh God, for people of like Christian faith. And thank you for a soul that came this morning and began his journey toward heaven. I thank you, God. I ask you to bless him and keep your hand upon him and encourage his heart and lift his spirit. Touch all of our people, Lord, today. and We'll have an enjoyable day with our family and our friends. And, Lord, I pray that if there's a lost one we encounter today, that we'll tell them that Jesus saves and Jesus heals and that Jesus is right for whatever is wrong. Dismiss us now in your care in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Shake hands and be friendly. You better be friendly whether you shake hands or not. God go with you and God bless you. You came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping.